Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. Please open your Bibles with us and join us as we study through the book of Psalms. For more information about our church, please visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co. Psalm 19, so. to the choir master, a psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork, day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard, their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In, the, in them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for who you are, um, for what you've done in sending your son Jesus to die for us. Um, We ask that you would give us, cause us to, uh, to want to know your word, to desire your word, because David could not say this of his own accord as a sinful man, um, only, only because you gave him that because of your righteousness. So we ask for that as well, that you would give us that desire to truly know you and to live lives that honor Christ. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we look this morning in our series that we've been doing on the Psalms as therapy for our soul, as a description and anatomy of our soul, at Psalms of Meditation, that which we focus upon, that which we uh, fix our minds and thoughts and hearts upon. Uh, This is incredibly useful and necessary because this life is stressful and difficult. I don't know if you've noticed. At times, it's downright dangerous, and we can feel discouraged, overwhelmed, emotionally tired and physically tired, sad, depressed, anxious, hopeless. Study came out two years ago with the National Library of Medicine said this, one in six Americans today is on medication for depression or anxiety. Many in our time consider that sort of the magic pill, the magic fix for whatever ails your heart and soul. If I take this, all my problems will go away. Now, our purpose this morning is not to say whether an individual, and that's the word I would really point out to you, individual, because everybody's life and circumstances and heart and mind are different, whether any individual should take medication or not. That is not our purpose, although I will say this rather strongly, if whatever it is that you turn to as medication for your soul is not accompanied by changing what we meditate upon, it will not be ultimately effective. That's why we're looking into the Psalms this morning on what it is that we fix our minds upon. I want us to consider, and in fact, I think David, the author of these Psalms that we're going to look at this morning, wants us to consider how the emotional, 
how the spiritual process works within the human heart and what we can do about it. So if you're one of those who has struggled uh, with discouragement, depression, anxiety, even to the point of hopelessness, I want you to hear from God's word this morning, there is something that you can do about it. Let's look first at how it works. If you ask the question, why did you act like that? Right, just pretend like your mother is still with you. Why did you act like that? Why did you talk like that? Here's the answer most people in our day and age give, because I felt a certain way. I, I talked like that. I had that tone of voice. I had these kind of actions because I felt something. My feelings, my emotions are, are running the show for all of my life. Just by way of illustration, I think this helps the kids, but I think it might help the adults as well. We wrongly believe that our lives are led around. They are being controlled by our feelings and our emotions. And our feelings, our emotions are responding to circumstances that are outside of us. And those, those things that we go through, the people that we're exposed to, then dictate how we think and speak and act. I would have never done that. I would have never said that if it hadn't been for her external to us. Whether it is monsters or mother-in-laws, evil teachers or horrible bosses, whatever we want to vilify in our life, that's the bad guy. It's not me. It can't be me. It can't be my heart. They are the evil one. It's all things outside of us that made me feel this way. That's why I act the way I do. That's why I talk the way that I do. And here's what the Bible says to that. No. No. The Bible says that what we meditate on, what we think about, what we treasure in our mind will find its way down into our heart. Here's the first fill in the blank for you on your handout that's in your bulletin. My thoughts determine my feelings, not the other way around. My thoughts determine my feelings, what I meditate upon, but what I give my heart and soul and mind to think about again and again and again will determine how I feel at the end of the day. Here's what James says in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this? You have a terrible wife. You have an awful, inconsiderate husband. Your boss is the... That's not what it says. James chapter 4, what, Corrine, you had to sign that. I apologize. Yeah. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have. And so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain. And so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you don't ask. By implication, asking God. Here's what Luke says, as Jesus tells us in verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart, that which he has meditated upon and put within his own heart and soul, out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We can't see what's going on in somebody's head. We can't see what they treasure in their heart. But we hear very clearly what comes out of their mouth. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 through 32 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Uh, friends, this is not an admonition to some moral keeping of the law, some moral uh, checklist that you have that I have a handful of words that I don't say, and then I, I have some vocabulary that I will say. Uh, let me just tell you, there are Christians across our country and in this area who have a checklist of words that they will never say, maybe except if they're on the farm, uh, and Yet they wouldn't say these four-letter words, but they will destroy one another with gossip and dissension. They will slander another's character and rip them apart. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for, not slander, not tearing down, but building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Who's he talking to? That's Christians. Christians alone are sealed by the Holy Spirit 
of God for the day of redemption. And so he says to Christians, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And maybe you sit here this morning discouraged, even hopeless, and you go, great, how am I supposed to do that? That sounds like a great, perfect church answer. I don't have it within me. How do I do that when I have intrusive thoughts, thoughts that I'm not intentionally thinking about, they're just flying into my head and taking over my heart. I've got these overwhelming emotions. What am I supposed to do with this? Here's the answer from the Psalms and the rest of Scripture. Fix your thoughts on God and the gospel. The glory of the cross that Jesus is suffering has purchased your salvation. That his word defines what is true and is a light for my path. That he is the king of everyone and everything, including this moment that you're walking through right now. No matter how dark and difficult, he is the king of this moment. So this morning, we're going to look at three psalms briefly together. Psalm 19, the God that I see that is on display in all of creation. Psalm 27, the God who saves, who delivers his people. And Psalm 63, therefore, the God that I seek. Look with me at Psalm 19 that we read together. David begins by saying that the very heavens themselves, the sky and all that fills them, in fact, all of creation declares the glory of God. Day and night, nonstop, every moment, in every place, to everyone, declares the glory of God. This is general revelation. That there is nowhere that this voice isn't heard. There is no one who has not felt within their soul the impression that this world has given that there is a God somewhere. David compares it to the sun. The sun that rises and runs its course every day. It is consistent day in and day out. And he says there's no getting away from it. There's nowhere that is hidden from its light and from its heat. That's what every human being begins with in their soul. There is a God. And even if I don't know this God, I don't know his name, I don't know what this God requires, I know that this God is righteous, and therefore I need to act a certain way. And if I don't, I will incur the wrath of this God. And this God demands my worship. Here's the bad, that's good news. Here's the bad news. That general revelation is not enough to save, though it is enough to condemn. To say there is a holy and righteous God that rules the universe, and I am not holy and righteous. And so we do all of these things in in every culture, in every place, in every religious system to appease whatever God we believe to be out there. But because it is not enough to save David, who has not just general revelation, but special revelation, erupts in praise for the word of God. The revelation of God. That he not only reveals to us that there is a God, but that this is who he is. This is how you are to worship him. This is how you are to obey and honor him. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening our eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. The rules of the Lord are true, more to be desired than gold, even better than chocolate made by Cadbury. That would be a modern translation. He says honey and the drippings of the honeycomb, but you get the point of what he is saying. Now, here's what this is not meant to be in verses 7 through 10 there. It's not meant to be uh, fodder for some future sermon or past sermon that I think I preached in the past, where I try and pick apart what's the difference between the law of the Lord and the testimony, and the precepts and the commandments. Or what's the difference between it, it making our hearts wise, or rejoicing the heart, or enlightening the eyes? 
No, that's missing the point entirely because this is Hebrew poetry. In Hebrew poetry, the way that they added emphasis, the way they added punctuation at the end of the sentence was through repetition and parallelism. So frequently we'll, we'll see a, a, a psalm or something from the Old Testament where they'll say it one way, and then they'll sort of turn it around and say it slightly different, but say basically the same thing. And it, what they're doing is emphasizing what is being said. If they repeat it three times, as we find in the description of God in the throne room of God in Isaiah 6, and they cry out, holy, 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 they're saying to the infinite degree, God is holy. It's a giant exclamation mark at the end. Hey, here's essentially what David is doing in Hebrew. He's writing in all caps. Anybody ever make that mistake when you started texting someone uh, and you had like all caps on and you didn't realize it and the other person's like, why are you shouting at me? And you're like, why are you being a condescending nerd? I didn't mean to. I hate texting and my thumbs are too big, right? Whatever, whatever the story is, uh, David is essentially shouting at us the law of God, the word of God. This is perfect. This is what we need. Verse 12 asks the question. It's a rhetorical question. He doesn't even answer it. He just leaves it to be answered within the heart of every individual who can discern his own errors, and our hearts testify to us, no one. Because the truth is, and this is a fill in the blank for you, I can't see my own blind spots. I need God's word, and I need God's people. Here's the mistake that we so often make that I'm pretty sure I'll figure it out. I may not know the answer, but when I get into the situation, just like that, I'm going to know the right thing to do, the right words to say. I'm going to be able to unwind this twisted knot of my own heart and emotions. And the answer from God's word is no. In fact, God's word testifies that our heartful is deceitful and wicked above all things. I can't see my own blind spots. That's why God gave me you. That's why God gave me his word. Just, if you're taking notes, jot down Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. As we see Jesus, the head of his church, giving within the church, within the body of Christ, spiritual leaders to equip us as the congregation, as members, as brothers and sisters, to speak the truth in love to one another, to build up one another, that we all might together grow up in Christ. So Psalm 19 says, God's word warns us from sin. It warns us when we are getting off track, and it keeps us from hidden faults. It keeps us from presumptuous sins. I think I'm all right. I'm just going to go ahead with this. If not, I'll just sort it out later. Especially those kind of sins that would rule over you. We read it earlier, would have dominion over you. Today, we don't use the word have dominion over you. We call it addictions. And then we have so justified that dominion and justified those addictions that we say they're, they're not actually attached to sin, they're attached to sickness. Now, friend, if you stay in sin long enough, I promise you it will change the neural pathways in your mind. You'll create generational patterns that you will pass on, and so you will see those patterns from generation to generation. But it doesn't begin with sickness, it begins with sin. That's good news, because we don't have a whole lot we can do about sickness. And the Bible says there is an easy fix to sin, and it's repentance. So David prays, God, let all that be true of me. If you have revealed who you are in the world around us, if you have made known to us uh, not just general revelation, but special revelation of who you are and what your word has to say. Let that be true of me. Let it guide me and let it guard me. And so he concludes with verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Let the things that that come from my mouth that testify what's in my heart, let the things that I meditate and that I think upon be acceptable before you, O Lord, my rock in my Redeemer. Most of you are familiar with that particular verse, that closing verse in Psalm 19, because you've heard it at the beginning of many sermons. 
through many different ministries and pastors. And I would say that's appropriate, but that's only catching the corner of what that's pointing to. Oh, David is saying, in a world that lives in contrast between those who know God and those who do not. In the contrast of those who trust in God's word and those who trust in themselves. Of those who by what they meditate and think upon and therefore do and speak. And those who do it under the authority and obedience to the word of God. He says, let the second be true of me. God, let what I think about, let what I talk about, let what I do be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And here's why. Because God's word is true. And God's word is trustworthy. It is testifying to all creation and through all creation that you and I need it. Look with me at Psalm 27. That was the God that I see, the God who has put himself on display for me. Let's look now at the God who saves. Psalm 27 begins with the superscription of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. That, by the way, is the Hebrew parallelism. He will hide me and he will conceal me. He will lift me up high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You said, seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, O Lord, I do seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Verses 2 and 3 give us the context of this song of David. When evil doers assail me, to eat up my flesh. That's poetic imagery. They don't actually want to commit cannibalism. They want to destroy and consume him. My adversaries and foes come at me as an army that's just surrounding me and camped against me, making war against me. This is a war that's coming from the outside of me, but there's also a war that David points to that's going on inside of him. What we would see and recognize in ourselves it's these deep moments of anguish and depression and anxiety. This is the self-talk where we are talking to ourselves, telling ourselves a story again and again and again about how broken our lives are, are how broken our world is. And we say to ourselves things like this, nothing ever goes right for me. I screw everything up. In fact, no one likes me. No one wants to be my friend. It's that moment. It's those thoughts. It's those feelings into that that David says this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The truth is he's fearing everybody right now. 
His, his life is completely overwhelming him, but he stops and has a conversation with himself. And says, all right, listen, self, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. Not, not these other things, not these other people. If that's the case, who should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Again, Hebrew parallelism. Verse 5, you will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. You will cover me. You will lift me up out of harm's way and set me upon a rock. So Psalm 119, verse 114 cries out, You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. When there's nothing else that we can stand upon and trust upon, I will hope in God's word. But notice what David does not say. God, what I really need for you in this moment is to make these people go away. God, I just need you to fix this situation. If you do, then I'm going to say something stupid in public like this. Well, now I know there's a God. And if you don't, then I'm going to say, well, where was God? Maybe I can't believe in a God who wouldn't do things exactly the way that I demanded them. No, that's not what he says. He says, God, what I really need is you. You're my strength. You're my rock. You're my sustainer. You're my defender. One thing, verse 4, have I asked of the Lord. One thing. One thing I will seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire within his temple. Verse 6, and now my head, after doing that, once I have seen who God really is, now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer sacrifices in the tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Friends, David knows what we so quickly forget that God is using this moment to cause me to run to Him. God is using this moment to cause me to cling to Him, to worship Him, and therefore I can trust in Him. Why? Because He can do all things. He could fix this just like that if He wants to. The fact that He hasn't means He's using it. He's bending even this horrible, broken situation that I might look to Him and trust in Him in a way that I would not have done if He would have just fixed it. If He'd have just answered my prayer, I would not trust in Him. Therefore, the believer, the one who knows who God is, can have confidence in adversity. But notice also the believer's prayer that we see in David. Notice his desire as God draws us to himself through hardship. This isn't some uh, Christian falsity where we come together on a Sunday morning and our life is totally going off the rails. And we put a plastic smile on and go, well, praise the Lord, brother. It's good to see you as well. There's a gut-level honesty in verse 7. He says, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. There's a devastation, and he has cried out to everybody he can cry to, and now he cries to the only person that's left, and that is God. And he says, God, I'm crying out to you. I literally have nothing else I can do. Be gracious to me. Please, oh God, answer me. Then he repeats what God has said. For you have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, Your face, O Lord, do I seek. Again, God is using this moment in David's life. God is using this moment in your life, even the ones that feel so out of control, to call you to trust in him. Not yourself. Not somebody else. Not something else. God is in this moment, even though you feel so alone. I love pointing out uh, when the ESV study Bible or another study Bible gives helpful insights into the text. Because some of you go, you know what, commentaries just blow my mind. I don't get it. I I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to Bible college. Uh, Maybe this is all above me. And I I love when there's simple tools like a study Bible. Uh, I just want to read to you from the ESV study Bible in Psalm 27, verse 8. It says this, God addresses his word, seek my face. That's the command God gives. Seek my face to more than one person. And the singer responds by acting personally upon the invitation. In the Hebrew, it's an open invitation. In fact, it's not just an invitation, it's a command. 
seek my face. To many people, but the psalmist responds, and we must respond personally to this invitation. The connection between this and verse 4, where it also says seek, indicates that this seeking doesn't just happen in your closet. It doesn't just happen in the privacy of your own heart or home. This is done in the sanctuary with the saints. That means in the middle of my dark and discouraging times, when I want to pull back from all the rest of you. Anybody ever felt that? You're just so discouraged. You're so down. I don't want to be around Christians. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't want to come to church. I don't want to talk to anybody. The encouragement is lock on to God's people. Consider David. Consider his life, who, who begins as a shepherd boy to a champion to an outlaw to a king. A shepherd boy who wasn't just picked last, he was not picked at all, except by God. To a champion defeating Goliath in front of the whole nation who's cheering his name, finally, I'm not the one picked last for the team anymore. I'm right next to the king who then turns on him, and now he's an outlaw running for his life, fleeing from King Saul until finally God keeps his promise to him, and now he's the king, and all of his enemies have been vanquished, except for his own children who now want to kill him and take his throne. Great story. Have you ever felt like that? That life just goes from bad to worse, no matter how hard you try. And so he cries out to God, looking at God, saying, God, my family didn't believe in me. The king turned on me. My family's turned on me. Man, not you too. Verse 9, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation, Consider, why would God turn his face from David? Why would something within David's heart say, here's what I think is going to happen. Here's how I think this is going to play out. God's going to turn me away in anger. He's going to cast me off. He's going to forsake me. Well, next week, as we look at the Psalms of penitence, we're going to find in Psalm 51, David tells us why he feels like that. Psalm 51, verse 3, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Verse 4, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And yet hear David's confidence. Hear the believer's confidence at the end of this psalm. God, when it comes to my sin, I know that in Christ, as we sang, your mercy is more. I know that no matter what enemies I am facing, God, you are greater. This is the next fill in the blank for you. Verse 13, and therefore he says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. Now, this is not the kind of I believe statement that we worked up within ourselves. This isn't the kind of I believe statement because we sent $276 to a TV preacher and he told us as long as you believe it and as long as you confess it, it's going to work out. This is based on the track record of God and his faithfulness. And he says, I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord. This situation seems anything but good, but here's what I'm going to see in the end. God was good on the goodness of the Lord, not just in heaven, but in the land of the living. And he, as if, turns the lens upon his own soul and says to himself, wait for the Lord. You feel like you're about to be abandoned, forsaken, and cast off. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's look at Psalm 63. Man, I'm going to be exhausted when I'm done preaching this. It just feels like there is fire in these words of God. Man, there is life for weary saints in this. Oh God, let it be fire within our bones. Psalm 63, the God that I seek. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness in Judah. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. 
My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouth of liars will be stopped. Look how this psalm begins. God, you are my God. I know this is true. This is my starting point. No matter where where I'm at, what I feel, what I'm going through, you are my God. But where is he writing this from? He's writing it from the wilderness. He's writing it when once again someone is chasing him and trying to kill him. Uh, At this point, because he refers to himself as king, this is probably his own son Absalom who is trying to murder his father and take his throne. And so here's how he describes his thoughts, feelings, and emotions. My soul, not just my body, in this wilderness is dry, is thirsty, is weary, is fainting, and there's no water. There's a couple key words in verses 2, 3, and 4 that I uh, circled for you because I I want you to see these and see the progression as David thinks through the dilemma in which he finds himself. They're the words so, because, and so. They, They pin this text together. Things are rough, so I'm looking to you. We generally say it like this. Things are rough, and that's why I'm not looking to God. No, David says things are rough, that's why I'm looking. I need you right now. I'm looking towards you right now. I'm reminding myself of who my God is. What's his nature? What's his character? Oh, he's going to go on to describe at least two aspects of the nature and character of God, his power and his glory. So, I have in the past tense looked to you. In the past, I have trusted in you, and you were faithful. He says, I I looked to you, and it was in the sanctuary. Again, it's in the gathering of the saints, the gathering of believers. This is not a a private, personal uh, time that you have with the Lord. This is a raw display of emotion with other brothers and sisters wrapped right around you. Where was the sanctuary? It was in the city of God, and it was with the people of God. Oh, those are, those are both themes that are going to track all throughout the Old Testament and into the New, uh, all the way to the end of Revelation as we see that God is establishing a new city, a new kingdom filled with the people of God, ransomed and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We saw in Psalm 27 our response to God's call to seek Him, that it's not just a private thing between us and God. It is meant to be publicly joined with God's people. Here's the second key word, because. So I'm, I'm seeking after you, but here's why. Because your steadfast love is better than life. Man, if you have a habit of underlining and writing in your Bible, which I would caution you to be a little bit careful with, but it can be a helpful tool, this is probably a good one to underline. God, your steadfast love is better than life. Again and again, the Psalms remind us to set our hope on the steadfast love of God. The Hebrew word for steadfast love is kased. It's used 248 times. It is steadfast love. It is loving kindness. It is compassion. And it is grace. And Psalm 57, 1 through 3, says that God hears us when we cry to him in that place of desperation. 
And that he not only hears us, but that he sends his steadfast love and faithfulness to save us. That's why in Psalm 57, the psalmist prays, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I take refuge until the storms of destruction pass by. I'm going to read that one more time. In fact, it, I, on the, the handout, I have given you all the scriptures for today. This is Psalm 57, verse 1. You should circle that one in your handout because you probably need to circle back to this in your life. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until the storm of destruction passes by. All of life flows from the steadfast love of God. Salvation and blessing, mercy and forgiveness, they all come to us because of his steadfast love. And it causes us to say in our dry times with Psalm 87, verse 7, God, all my springs are in you. All my fountains of living water, that which sustains me, they're found in you and nowhere else. Concluding back in Psalm 63, we see David's confident hope. Verse 5, my soul will be satisfied and my mouth will praise. Verse 9, those who want to kill me will die. Now we sing a lot of psalms, but we don't sing that verse all that often. Those who want to kill me will die. It will be great. Right? We just don't sing stuff like that. And yet, what does the psalmist rejoice in? God, you will destroy your enemies. Do I need to trademark that little song? I just made that up right now, guys. Like, that's not in my notes. So crazy. Dad just said singing like my father, only I said all those who come against me will die. Ooh, man, we got to be careful. Verse 10, all their power. Those who seem to have all the power in this situation, he says, here's what I know. Because God rules over even them, those who have the power, somebody stronger is going to come along and take it from them. Everything that they've built is going to be left for the jackals. It's going to be abandoned to wild animals. Verse 11, but I will rejoice in God. The godly will praise, and the mouth of liars will be stopped. Again, mark carefully, when is David singing this? When is David praying this? It's in the wilderness. None of these things have come true yet. God hasn't yet defeated his enemies. He hasn't seen God triumph and them fall. He knows the faithfulness of God, and that's what he is pinning his hope to. He's drawing from what he knows to be true of God. He's drawing from the past faithfulness of God. We saw this same heart in David when he prepared to face Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 36, he says, Your servant has killed lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. He's bigger than me. He's stronger than me. He has the power to kill me, but God was faithful then. He's going to be faithful now. We saw the same eternal confidence in David when he's facing the death of his infant son in 2 Samuel 12, verse 23. He gets up from fasting, from crying, from praying, and he says this, I know I can't bring this child back just by praying hard enough, but here's what I know. Because of the steadfast love of God, I know where he is, and I know I will go to him. Now, in this moment, in this wilderness... He has confidence based on God's past faithfulness that says in Psalm 63, verses 5 through 8, My soul will be satisfied. My mouth will praise. My lips will be joyful, even though he's still in the wilderness. Nothing's changed yet. Look at verse 6. How many times have you felt the anguish of your soul in the dark of night when I remember you upon my bed? When I meditate you on you in the watches of the night, why is it that he can't sleep? Oh, it's because these thoughts are bearing down on him. When anxiety wants to rule the night, David says this, I'm going to meditate on you. I'm going to think about your faithfulness. I'm going to think about your nature and your character, your goodness, and who you are. Verse 7, for you have been my help. That's what I'm thinking about. 
the faithfulness of God that has come before. And in the shadow of your wings, as God uh, imaged here, uh, imagined here as some great bird who stretches powerful wings out over his young to protect them, in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Right now, I feel like crying in the night, but I know, oh God, that you are powerful over this situation. A song is coming. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. In the darkness, when I can't sleep, when depression and anxiety want to rule over me, he says, I will retell your faithfulness. To who? Keep in mind, he probably has seven wives by this point. This isn't like I'm just going to wake up all my wives and go, let me tell you about the faithfulness of God. It's the middle of the night. He's preaching a sermon to himself. I will tell myself of the faithfulness of God. When everything that I see with my eyes says I don't believe it, I'll remind myself that God is faithful and that God is good. Verse 4, so I will bless you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I'll lift them up in worship. I will lift them up in surrender. I will lift them up as the only one who can supply all of my needs. And in the congregation of saints and in my family, with every thought, with every word, with every action of my life, here's going to be the prayer that defines me. God, let the words of my mouth, let the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Because I know who you are, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. May it be so. Worship team, would you come and join me? As they're coming, would you grab that handout that is in your bulletin? Hopefully you've already been tracking through and filling in the blanks that are there, but I want to talk to you about it for just a second. This is the second time in a month that we've given you something that looks like this. Last time reminding you of the same truth that you see circled and right in the middle of this, hopefully, tool for your soul. It says, this moment is an opportunity for God's glory to be put on display in me. This isn't about evil winning. This isn't uh, God shaking his head that I wish things weren't like this. God is using this moment for my good and his glory, and he's putting his glory on display in me. That last fill-in-the-blank that we had from Psalm 27, 13. Man, when you feel like your life is completely out of control, when all the, the internal warning bells are going off, where you've, you've not just thought about it and been worried about it in your mind, but it has descended to your heart, and you know this feeling, and I can't breathe right because of it. My stomach feels like it has dropped into my shoes. Every time I think about it, every time the thought flies into my head, at that moment, we're going to stop and meditate upon God and his word. And God has given you graciously those physical warning signs to go, now's the time. Now's the time. Meditate on God's word. But when you can't convince yourself, you ever had a conversation where you're so down and so discouraged that you know what the other person is saying to you is true and you just can't hear it to believe it? I, I know what you're telling me is right. I just can't feel it. But we're not going to live on our feelings. We're going to confess the word of God. And so this is just a really simple breathing exercise of breathing in a deep breath for four counts because, uh, yes, your mom was right when you were a little kid and you fell down and scraped your knee and you came in and you couldn't talk and she said, settle down, take a deep breath. God's built that into us as well. We're going to take a, a big breath, settling ourselves down, but focusing our heart and mind on the word of God. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness. And then just hold that breath for four counts. And while you're holding it, Say within your heart, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then breathing out deeply and slowly for four counts while saying to yourself, wait for the Lord, be strong. And then holding it empty for four. and Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Friends, I promise you, in the midst of your chaos, 
When your heart is overwhelmed and your emotions can't keep up with what's going on, when we stop and fix our hearts, fix our minds, even fix our bodies, that's what the breathing here does, on God's word, oh, he is faithful to his word and he is faithful to his people. Once you've done that two or three times, then flip it over and there's a bunch of scriptures on the back. Scriptures from these psalms that we just read together reminding us of our desire of our need to look to the Word of God, to trust in God, to trust in His Word. But at the top of the page, there's something I want you to do. I want every single person to do this. This is your homework for the week. I want you to write down five times, five instances, five moments in your life when God has been faithful to you. Sometimes just reading, sometimes breathing is not enough. We have to do what David says. I'm going to meditate in the watches of the night, reminding myself when God has been faithful to me in the past. Man, my life feels like it's terrible right now, and everything wants to say, God, you don't care, it's out of control. But here's what I do remember that time 10 years ago when you did this and this and this, you were faithful then. Man, if he was faithful then, maybe he can be faithful now. You keep rehearsing the faithfulness of God until it goes from maybe he can be faithful now to our God is faithful now, and I believe that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Philippians 4, 5, and 6, we'll end with this. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. That just means asking with thanksgiving for the faithfulness that we have seen in the past, let your request be made known to God. Father, we pray that we would have hearts of faith to look to you in the midst of our darkness and difficulty. When we want to give up, when we say everything is hopeless, everything this world has let us down, let us be reminded, O God, of the one who holds this world in the palm of his hand who has said, I will fulfill all of my plans, all of my purposes, and no one can thwart them. We look to you, O God. And I pray right now for weary Christians in this room who barely have the strength to take those deep breaths. God, would you by your spirit convince them again of your goodness and your power. Would you by your spirit enable them, give them strength that is not their own, but in fact comes solely from you to walk in faithfulness and obedience and trust to your word, to your gospel, to our great God, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.